0: <laughs> the COVID-19 friendly greeting for the, for the morning. I'm so glad you guys are with us. Thanks for being here. Um, we uh, are continuing our, our uh, message series that we've been working on here at Ignite called Difference Maker. In this series, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, and learning some key lessons about how God might want to use ordinary people—people people like you and me, people like Nehemiah—to impact our world. A little background: If you haven't been here, Nehemiah was written about 500 B.C. Uh, it's kind of centered around the story of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, about 100 years before this, uh, had been conquered, had been taken over, had been decimated. The walls, the city, the temple—everything had been demolished and totally. Uh, I mean, just wiped out in every way the people uh, most of the people living there at that time had been taken away into captivity so the people that conquered the land took them back as slaves as servants as people to live in their land so the people have been spread throughout the region and slowly had been returning uh, to jerusalem but, but as we start out in the book of nehemiah we find uh, nehemiah which is, which is the book is his uh, sort of his journal so to speak Um, uh, but it it finds him uh, living uh, as a cupbearer to the king, kind of a servant to the king in in that day, uh, the king whose ancestors had actually conquered Jerusalem, and uh, he gets word. Some people come, and he gets word about the condition of Jerusalem, and he finds out that it is in ruins, that the gates have been burned, the walls have been torn down, and he weeps, and he mourns, and he prays, and he fasts uh, for days and days and days. And uh, after he prays about this for quite some time, suddenly he starts realizing, you know what, I think God is asking me to actually do something about it. God is asking me to be a difference maker, to, to go back to the city, uh, to help rebuild the walls and, uh, and and kind of bring hope again to the people of God. And so that's kind of where we, we have kind of been going, been kind of following his story and learning about that. Uh, and, I mean, it's amazing to see God's hand throughout. I mean, he starts out, we, we talked about in week one, he goes to actually um, the king again, whose ancestors had conquered this land, and because God's hand was on him, he gets the king to actually fund the expedition, to pay for the rebuilding of the wall, and to give him leave to go and to, uh, to actually rebuild the city, raise up the people, and all this kind of stuff. Pretty, pretty crazy. A couple weeks ago, we talked about facing opposition. And talked about how as we step out and follow God, the opposition is always right there. And the enemy uses that to try and get us to quit, to try and get us to throw in the towel and to give up. But as we saw, Nehemiah didn't quit, and, and God's people kept right on building. And today, as, we, as we're going to see, Nehemiah's encounter Nehemiah once again encounters some opposition, but this time, instead of uh, in, instead of just trying to get him to quit, it, it comes in the form of distraction—something that I think all of us can probably uh, identify with—and if. If you don't believe me, do you hear those nice church bells in the background? There's <laughs> distraction everywhere. We live in a world filled with distraction, so I think there's some great stuff that God has in store for us. We're going to start out in Nehemiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. We'll have it on the screens. It's on your app. If you've got your Bible, so you not you flip there and, and, and kind of go there with us. We're just going to read through the chapter. I'm going to stop and make some, some comments as we go. Nehemiah 6, starting with verse 1 says this, when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, which should tell you, who are these guys? we read about them a couple of chapters ago, but these are people that brought opposition. They're sort of the enemies of, of God's people, the enemies of Jerusalem in that day. So when the word came to our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left, though up to that time uh, I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me up this message, come Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, and so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer, I gave them the same reply. We'll just stop there at verse 4 for a minute. And let me just say, here's sort of the big picture for the week, and this is what I kept thinking about. Sometimes, if the enemy can't discourage you, and he can't destroy the work that you're doing, he'll merely try to distract you. He'll just get you focused on something else. Nehemiah's enemies say, "Come over here and let's meet together. Stop, stop what you're doing. Let's look at this shiny thing over here, right? Let's, let's, let's come and talk. Let's, let's, let's meet together and talk together. Let's have a meeting, maybe over a meal. It'll be great. But stop what you're doing and come on over here." Craig Rochelle says, here's a tip. He says, never meet with your enemies in a city called, or in a place called, oh no. It's <laughs> like, it's never going to turn out well. Oh no. Right? But that's exactly uh, where they try to lure him. It's in, oh no, uh, that Nehemiah's enemy is trying to get him to do anything other than what God has called him to do. Just stop building the wall, his enemies say. Distraction, I'm telling you. And let's talk a little bit. Let's just meet together. Maybe we can call a truce. I mean, don't you want to be known as the person that kind of brought our two countries together? I mean, think of it. Your name could be great. All this kind of stuff. His enemy is trying to do anything he can do to distract him so that he won't finish what he had started. And I just think, man, you know, sometimes that's the case in our life. Sometimes uh, things that we see in our lives that we think of as opportunities are, I wonder if God doesn't see his distractions. You know what I mean? I mean, I'll give you some examples. And these are all fine things. These are good things. Uh, that, that kind of thing. But like, here's an example: overtime at work. Is overtime at work a good thing? It is, right? It can't be. It, it's an opportunity sometimes for us to make top, time and a half or double time, which can be a great thing, and sometimes is required. Not talking to anybody here specifically. I'm just, just as an example, right? Kind of thing. But. But overtime like that comes with a price, doesn't it? It's a trade-off between our time at work and our time with family, our time at work or our time with other people. Sometimes it will require us not to see or be able to have time to invest in our family or in our marriage or in maybe somebody else we have been reaching out to. And maybe God's providing for you that way for a particular season, and that's important but sometimes I wonder if, if maybe things like that, if opportunity, sometimes we just embrace without even thinking. But instead of an opportunity, I wonder if God looks at and says, "You know what? It's, it's actually a distraction from what I've called you to do." Another example: maybe, maybe you feel like God's giving you, a, you know, some, some specific nudges to get out of debt, and you said, "Absolutely, I, did, I do not any longer want to be a slave to debt, right?" And, and, and so you kind of feel like that's what God's calling to you. You start working at it. For a while and then at some point this dream vacation opportunity comes up right some friends are going or whatever else it's you know it's this luxurious all-inclusive uh plan to the plains of Ono, right (laughs) and you're like hey this is great this is going to be awesome and you think yeah absolutely and you know it's on sale and things everything is is good it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunity but uh, again uh, and, and is there anything wrong with that of course not but i wonder if maybe you don't have the money and maybe if it could be that, hey, we don't have the money, and maybe this was, seems like an opportunity. It's just a way that the enemy's distracted you from the goal of getting out of debt. You see what I'm saying? I think this can happen to all of us. Maybe you started serving in the church, and you've been learning to use your gifts and talents and abilities to build up God's kingdom, and, and it's, it's a cool gift. and you've been coming alive, but suddenly you've had lots of opportunities that you've said yes to in your life. Yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and suddenly your plate is so full, there is no more time to, to invest, to serve, to whatever. What, what we see sometimes as opportunities. I wonder if from God's perspective, the kingdom, the 10,000-foot the view... I wonder if he's not looking at it going, you know what, maybe it's just a distraction from what I've called you to do. Again, nothing wrong, those are all fine things, good things, and things that God will call us to, and God gives us opportunities to take advantage of. But sometimes I think we just embrace them without even considering. I remember one time hearing uh, somebody say this, and I I remember it kind of messed with me, which is why I remember it. But he said, you know what, he's like, you should... Never say yes to a decision, to an opportunity that's before you until you pray about it. Until you've submitted to the Lord. He said you can say no, like you can say no right away. <laughs> but if before you say yes, you gotta keep in mind you're trading your life for this opportunity, right? And so before you say yes, make sure you step back and pray so that so you don't just walk into what you think is an opportunity and really it's a distraction. You with me? Does that make sense? All right. I uh, mean obviously we live in a world right i mean we're kind of black belts in distraction if you have a phone which pretty much most of us have right that's like the king of distraction we are we have elevated distraction to a whole new level right i mean like like i can get on facebook or on social media of some kind and i can waste all kinds of time right i can just i mean it's distraction i in fact, things pop up to remind you, right? Oh, you haven't done this, you haven't been here, you haven't, somebody posted something and you might miss out, right? I mean, it's, we're like the king of distractions. If you've ever played games on your phone, your games now chime in and remind you as well. Like, hey, don't miss this opportunity, right? This time to, to come back and who knows, whatever the game is kind of, right? I mean, we are, um, we are awesome <laughs> at having our times be kind of sucked up I and mean, we can be distracted even when there's important and things that we feel like we're called to Right before us, we we can so easily miss out. We can so easily say yes to all the distraction kind of things and end up saying no to the things that really matter in our lives. If the enemy can't defeat you, then he sure as heck is going to distract you. But here in our passage, I think Nehemiah puts on a clinic. I mean, man, if you want to live as a difference maker in our world, you and I have got to learn a lesson, the lesson from Nehemiah here. It's not rocket science, but he does it exceedingly well. He simply says, when the opportunity comes to him, and he recognizes that this is not from the Lord, right? But it's just a distraction from what God is actually, he simply says, no. <laughs> right. And I want you to practice that for a second. I want you all to say with me. Say no. Uh, it, it's one word that can actually transform our lives, but it, it's trickier than it looks like, right? Because learning to say no to the right things so that we can say even good things. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Distractions, anybody? Are You guys okay? Everybody all right? Oh, my word. We're, uh, we're losing, for those of you on watching us online, we're losing uh, some, had some things fall back here. The wind came up all right everybody okay back there thank you look at our team respond Yay! Woo, it's so easy for us to get distracted though right am i right yes but nehemiah says no he says no when the when uh the enemy comes invites him down to the plains of oh no he simply says no and sometimes i think we need to learn to do that as well Nehemiah is crystal clear on what God has called him to do. And he can, as, and as such, he can differentiate. You know what? I am not called to go down and to make peace with everybody. I'm not called to, to, uh, to make everybody like me. I'm not called to, to go down this. What I'm called to do is I am called to rebuild the wall. I'm called to lead the people. I'm called to bring hope once again to the people of God. And he will say no to anything that gets in his way, to anything that will distract him. From that call. The implied answer is no, but he goes on and gives us a little more. He This is what Nehemiah says specifically. I'm carrying on a great project. Another translation puts it this way: I'm doing a great work for the Lord and I cannot come down to you. I love that, by the way. I'm doing a great work for the Lord and I cannot come down to you. In other words, he's saying, you know, I'm doing what God has called me to do, and I will not be distracted from it. I will not quit. I will not stop. I can't stop, won't stop what God has called me to do. In essence... I mean, this has all kinds of ways that it can play out in our life, right? No, I'm sorry, I can't go on that that, on that vacation. I'm doing a great work called getting out of debt. Gonna change my life, my family. God's gonna use it to to release tons of resources. First Kingdoms. I won't stop until I have completed what God has called me to do. Or it could be, no, I need to be home tonight. It's date night or it's family night or whatever, and I need to go spend some time there. I'm doing a great work there, and I cannot and will not get distracted. Now, again, does that mean that you can't have fun? Is God a joy killer? Of course not. In fact, the opposite. This is the path that God leads us on towards freedom and towards joy and towards release but sometimes it requires the long-term view in some of those things and not getting distracted from what god is asking you from what god is calling you to do do that those things those important things first and then you can see what else uh, he has in store after that reminds me of a story i've I've shared before (laughs) this is the story i think of every time i I, we have this kind of message but guy ends up uh, going to a really fancy restaurant he has uh, a meal together as a meal excuse me by himself there's a woman at the table next to him gorgeous woman he's been kind of making eye contact with all night but he's shy and doesn't want to say anything or whatever and at one point this woman kind of looks over at him and she sneezes. And her eye pops out of its socket. A glass eye pops out of its socket. And reflexively, he catches the thing, right? And then he's kind of looking like, I don't know. And he kind of hands it back to her. She pops it back in. And she, at this point, is terribly embarrassed. I mean, horribly embarrassed. She says, you know what? Let me buy you dinner. I feel I feel terrible about this. I feel like I need to make it up to you. And so they, they, she buys him dinner. They have a meal together. Afterwards, she says, you know what? Let's... There's a, a good movie playing down the way. Let's let's go to the theater, to the cinema, and uh, and we'll see a movie together. My treat. I'll pay for it. All that kind of stuff. He's like, wow, okay, this is great. So they go they see this movie, and uh, and afterwards uh, they're going back uh, to their cars. And she says, you know what? I, I still feel kind of bad. What if I what if you come over to my place in the morning? I'm gonna cook you this gourmet breakfast. It's super fancy, fantastic and uh he's like well yeah i mean that'd be great so so he goes over there the next morning has this amazing breakfast he says you know you're kind of the perfect woman he's like what what in the world he's like do you treat every guy that you know this way and she said no she said you just happened to catch my eye right yeah 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 Right? I mean, yes. But I have to say, in all honesty, a lot of things, get, we live in a world in which a lot of things catch our eye, don't they? A lot of things distract us. It's constantly trying to pull our attention away from what it is that the good work, the great work that God is calling us to do. I remember getting a call one time, a number of years ago, from a pastor friend of mine, uh, and he's. Uh, pastor at a growing church there's been great ministry seeing all kinds of uh good stuff happen uh and he had at this in this particular era he had a woman that had gotten that had been caught up in (laughs) this might be controversial but had been caught up in witchcraft stuff and i'm not talking about like fun little harry potter i'm talking like wicked demonic like kind of stuff she'd been caught up in this for decades And suddenly she had come and opened up her heart and life to Christ. And she's like, you know what, I want to be free from this. I want to step out of the past and into what God has for me. And so uh, this pastor had been meeting with her. She said, there's a problem. Uh, The thing is, every time I try to start opening up God's word or I start coming to church, she's like, I can literally hear voices in my head telling me not to go. i mean there's all kind and uh so the pastor had been over there been counseling her taking some of his team over they prayed over her they've been uh leading her through steps to freedom in christ and all this kind of stuff and uh and i got a call from him one saturday night he and his team had been over there for hours and hours uh throughout the day they'd just gotten back he had sat down he hadn't even had time to start his message uh, for the next day. He's like, I just was sitting down starting up on my message, and he said, and I got a call from her that she needs me to come back. He's like, I don't know what to do. And it was it was one of those things that uh, just felt the Holy Spirit clearly saying in the midst of it, you know what? This is a distraction. <laughs> you, mean, you are called you're calling and I, I know him well, he's a really good friend. I was like, you're called get up tomorrow morning to open up God's word to hundreds of people to like you can't get distracted by this I mean you need that's that's where your focus needs to be I was like you'll have time of course you can go back you can see her tomorrow afternoon you can see her next week I mean kind of help her through the process but at that point it was a distraction he says and he even said at that point he said you know what? I think that's from the Lord I needed to hear that and the. The thing is, all of us have stuff like that. We can be so easily distracted by whatever is right in front of us. Sometimes it's the shiny thing, or sometimes it's a squeaky wheel, or whatever. But it's just calling for our attention more and more. And if we fall to it every time, we end up wasting our lives on stuff that does not matter. We squander the fabric of our lives on stuff that will not last, that doesn't really matter to God. Again, we might see it as an opportunity, but I wonder if God doesn't see it as a distraction from what it is that he's called us to do. You and I have got to learn to say no to the distractions so that we can continue to do the good work, the great work even, that God is calling us to do. I wonder if there's some things in your life right now or in mine that we need to say no to because they are distracting us from the most important work in our lives, the stuff that God has clearly called us to, because God is doing a great work in you. And it's not just in you, but just like in the book of Nehemiah, it's in us, right, that that he's working. Part of what God calls all of us to do as his church, right, as his people, is to minister together. individual that's a part of it right what is God calling me to do but even what is God calling us to do as this church how is he calling us to live because he is doing a good work here as well part of what he's doing here at Ignite is he's helping to draw people to Jesus right he's changing eternities and lives as people are discovering new life in Christ they're being developed into passionate followers and disciples of Jesus Christ And they're being sent out and deployed to take God's kingdom back into our homes and our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our world. God is doing a good work in you and in us. He is calling us to be difference makers, to impact our world for Christ. He wants to use you and wants to use me, but we cannot allow ourselves to be distracted by all the other stuff so much that we give up on what matters most. I think God's trying to teach us a lesson here through Nehemiah uh, to make sure that we don't get distracted and waste our lives. Do what God is calling you and asking of you first. Do the things that matter first. Because the enemy will try to distract you and keep you from doing what he's calling you to do. It's kind of the first thing. God is doing a great work in you and through you. He wants to use you to change the world, so don't get distracted. We'll keep going. Verse 5 says this, Then... The fifth time, so he sends him four four letters saying, come on down to the plains of oh No, right? Like, come on, get distracted, stop your building, come meet with us, and he says no. Then the fifth time, sandballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand is an unsealed letter. Now, let me just tell you for just a second, unsealed letter, if you were doing communications in that day and you wanted them to remain private, you would seal them with your seal with wax and that kind of stuff so that you would know that nobody else has seen this letter, right? Because when you got it, you'd break the seal, you'd open it up, you'd read it, makes sense, right? When when somebody would send an, uh, an unsealed letter, it's an invitation, maybe an opportunity even, right? For everybody who, who who passes it off to them to read it in between, that's sort of the point of this letter. Is that it was meant to be gossip. It was meant to be slander. It's like, hey, read this, and then pass it to the next person. They can read it all the way from from uh, where it was uh, where it was written to the person to when it got into Nehemiah's hand. So it was an, it was an unsealed letter, meaning not confidential. It was trying to smear and gossip and slander Nehemiah. Let's go. So in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it's reported among the nations. The New Living Translation says, and accurately translate this, there's a rumor reported, right? There's a rumor, and Geshem, again, one of the enemies, says it's true, so it must be, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are to become their king. And have appointed prophets even to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the real king. Which by the way, when when a king takes God you deal with them. You be the judge between them. Remember them for what they've done. done. I'm I'm entrusting them to you. I'm entrusting their schemes, their betrayal, their slander, whatever. And then he keeps moving forward. What happens? Verse 15. This is... This is what we've been waiting for, right? The first six six and and a half chapters in Nehemiah says this, verse 15. So the wall was completed in 52 days. 52 days. It's a miracle, but it's not the kind of miracle that you think of a lot of times. I mean, God was clearly the initiator of this miracle. We see that his hand was on Nehemiah as he went to the king, and the king ended up providing all that was needed. God was at work every step of the way. And it was done so quickly that clearly it's an indicator that God was a part of it. But here's the thing. God used ordinary people like Nehemiah, ordinary people like you and me. He used their labor day in and day out to rebuild his kingdom. Again, these are not superhero types, but he used ordinary people and their labor and their work over 52 days to change the world, to bring hope to God's people, to bring his kingdom to bear in our world. And he still does the same thing today. He still uses pe- ordinary people, people like you, people like me, to see his kingdom come, come, to impact the world, to change the world, to make a difference. He still uses people like us today. They refused to give up, they refused to give in to the distractions of the day, they refused to, to, to give in when there was slander and gossip, they refused to give in even to the fears that wanted to hold them down. They were faithful still. The people still built the wall. They still moved forward. They did their part, each one of them, building before, you know, the part of the wall that was before them and around their houses, around their families, around their people, their their workplaces or whatever. And God used his people to make a big difference. The same way, friends, you and I are not here by accident. God wants to use your life. He is doing a great work in you and through you. He wants to use your life in big ways for his purposes and for his glory. God is doing a good work in you. So do not give up. So do not get distracted or sidelined. Keep pursuing and serving and doing what it is that God has asked of you. In your family, in your church, in your world. Live for Jesus, empowered and led by his spirit. And he will do amazing things. I'm going to read the rest of it here. Nehemiah 6, 16 through 7, 3. Let me just finish this up. It says, when all of our enemies heard about this, listen to this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles. (laughs) Okay, can I just pause one second? Have we heard about the nobles before? Yes. How many times, by the way? This is the third. Can anybody remember what the other two contacts were for the nobles? Number one was they refused to work. to work. They refused to do the work. They're like, no, we're gonna sit back. We're not gonna build. Probably sat back and complained. We're not gonna build. We're just gonna sit back. We're we're a little better than that. I mean, we're not really. We're more like management, you know, kind of thing. Like we're not gonna. No. This, that was the first one. The second one was what? Do you remember this? We talked about this. Was it last week? I think. What's that? That's the second time the nobles were mentioned. They exploited the people, so not only were they not, were they not gonna get pastor's daughter, right? (laughs) Gold gold star next to your name, (laughs) okay. But anyway. but not only would they not do the work, but, but they were also the wealthy in their, in their community. And so uh, as, the, uh, as the workers, oftentimes, the poor and middle class people, as they went out and started doing the work and they weren't going to their jobs and they weren't working in the fields, all of a sudden they were having a crisis. They couldn't feed their families. And so uh, these guys were making deals so that they were getting richer and richer and richer. Oh, we'll give you some food, but you're gonna have to give us your land. Right? We'll, oh, we'll give you some food, but you're going to have to sell your kids as indentured servants to us. We're going to make slaves of your family. right? I mean, oh, this is the second thing we know about them. So far, how's the picture being painted of the nobles? Are they good people? Or maybe you're like, what is going on? This They, they did not disappoint. So this is the third time the nobles have gotten mentioned. And so it says, okay, so it says... Um, many letters to Tobiah, okay. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, again, their enemy, and replies to Tobiah from Tobiah kept coming to them. Um, verse 18, For many in Judah were under an oath to him, under an oath to him, uh, since he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah son of Era. and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Anybody glad that they don't have to stand up here and read those names? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> verse 19, Moreover, uh, they kept reporting to me his good deeds. Yeah, I bet. And then telling uh, telling them what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Uh, next chapter, verse 1. After the wall had been rebuilt and its doors had been set in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put them in charge of Jerusalem. Uh, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with. Uh, Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. Listen to this. Because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people knew. It's what we talked about last week, too. Integrity matters. It's pleasing to God. It brings a smile to his, to his face. It's a huge deal. And God uses people with integrity that will live for him even when nobody else is watching. He, he makes difference makers out of them. Verse 3. So said, I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, and then have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents to Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts, and some near their own houses. Here's what I I love about that. And I'm not going to comment about all that stuff, but here's what I love about it. The work was completed in 52 days. It's so quick that the surrounding nations were afraid, it says, and they lost their confidence. Why? Because they realized that the living God was at work in their midst. They realized that God had to have been a part of this project. God gets the glory for all that he has done. That's the hallmark of a movement of God. It reflects back on Him. It brings a smile to His face. His supernatural work done in and through the lives of ordinary Christ followers, ordinary people like you and me, done in His ways, bring God-sized results, and God gets the glory. Everybody, those around us get to see His work and know His presence. We do a little application. We we'll done for the day. But some of us might be here today, and we might be like, "Well, this is great and all, but I have absolutely no idea what the great work is that God is calling me to. What is my part of that kind of deal?" And if that's so, I just encourage you again, please reach out to me. Uh, I would love to sit out with you. Buy you a cup of coffee, maybe at six feet apart or something. Who knows? But I'd love to to sit down with you and, and talk a little bit more and dream with you and kind of start probing and asking some questions about where do you fit? What is the purpose that God has for you? What's your part of rebuilding the wall, of rebuilding the city, of rebuilding, you know, the kingdom of God here in our city? How does He want to use your life to make a difference? I think not knowing is perfectly fine, but don't make that your destination, right? Don't make that, don't get comfortable not knowing. We want to live our lives with intention. You and I, I think all of us have a desire in our heart. We want to make a difference. We want to be a part of what God is doing in our world. We want to see his kingdom come and his will be done in us. So, so if you have a question about that, make sure you reach out to me, send me a text, shoot me an email, whatever, or on the Ignite Church app, right? There's a, under the virtual church, there's a place, a virtual check-in. We talked about it earlier. Click that. There's a spot on there that says, I want to find out more about serving. I want to find out more about that. Click that. We'll follow up with you. I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to talk more and dream about what it is that God has in store for you. Where's your fit? What's your contribution for the great work that God wants to use you to accomplish? Maybe you're here, and if you're honest, you've gotten distracted by all the craziness in our world right now, By all distracted by all the busyness and all the stuff of our lives. And as a result, you just don't have that much time or space to do the good work that God has in store for you. And if that's you, uh, I just wonder if you and I need to take a cue from Nehemiah on this and learn to say no, right? Learn to say no to some of the wrong things, even good things, so that we have space and capacity to say yes to the good work that he's asking and he's designed specifically for you. Say no to to the wrong things or even to the good things so that we can say yes to the great work that God is going to do in you and wants to do through you. Maybe you've stepped out and you've started the good work, but you've been distracted or discouraged by what others are saying or some harsh words or some critics or whatever, by naysayers, people that are telling you you can't do it or whatever else. Remember, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, often it's not the people. The Bible tells us that it's, it is not against flesh and blood that, is, that we have a battle with. It's against the spiritual forces of darkness in our world. It's the enemy using uh, and, and speaking through stuff like that, that that sort of attacks us and distracts us from the good work that God has for us. Maybe today Jesus, and I just might add this, Jesus, who knows more about rejection who knows more about being falsely accused? Who knows more about suffering than any one of us ever will? Maybe today Jesus is speaking to you through Nehemiah and saying, man, put, it, put, put what they're saying through the truth filter. Maybe there's something for you to learn there. But then would you flush the rest? Whatever isn't true, give it to God. Surrender that back to him and pray, God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands and keep me moving forward into what you have called me to do. Maybe for you, fear is the distraction of choice that the enemy likes to use. And maybe he's trying to paralyze you and keep you from the good work that God has called you to. And maybe today God is calling you to entrust that back to him, to just lay it down, whatever it is that you're afraid of. Lay it back down before God. Don't let it distract you. Don't listen to its voice. Don't don't let it keep you from moving into the future that God has for you. And as you and I step forward, friends, as we keep pursuing the kingdom dreams that God has put before us, as we continue to do our part of the good work, he will do a great work, a great work in our midst and in the world around us. Others will come to see and know that there is a God in Peoria, a God that is at work in his people. We'll get to see his kingdom come. We'll get to see his will be done in our lives and in our homes and in our workplaces, in our city, our communities, and our world. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our cry this morning. We say come and build your kingdom here. Come and build it in us. Come and have your will and your way, God. I pray that you would protect us from all the distractions that just wage war around us the voices that tell us that we can't do it that we that we are not qualified that we're not up for it whatever the distractions whatever whatever god i pray that you would just keep our eyes fixed on you that we would be quick to turn back to you to pray god strengthen our hands god come and keep Keep, keep building your kingdom. Keep moving us forward to do, to accomplish, to live with you and for you. Have your way, God. We love you. We need you, I pray, uh, even today, God, that you'd specifically be um, speaking to us, giving us next steps of how we can and how you've called us to live for you and what you've called us to do for your kingdom. I pray that you would strengthen our hands, that you keep our eyes fixed on you, that we could surrender all the junk your hands, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and that you would just have your way. We love you, God. We need you. We just lift up uh, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.